go. All right, you may be seated. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for being here. The people who come on these nights, I mean, you're the real deal, right? I mean, I texted my wife about five o'clock and I said, I want to go to bed, period. Right now, period. Uh, but I'm excited. I've been looking forward to tonight. We uh, kind of started this a little bit last week and we're going to move into it a little bit deeper this week. This, what we're going to talk about tonight is kind of one of the deeper things in my heart. Uh, I told you last week I don't share this very often, uh, but it's deep in me and I hope uh, you'll be ready to receive it. If you didn't get one of these when, we, when you walked in, it'd probably be helpful for you to get one. Uh, and you can get up right now and go grab one of those if you want to. They're at all of the doors, uh, but it's going to be helpful for you because this is going to kind of help us walk through what we do tonight. Uh, some of you had mentioned to me this is your first time uh, on Wednesday night, and some of you even just visiting our church. I met a few of you that were just uh, starting to come. Uh, this is a little bit normal from what we normally do. Our bread and butter here is to walk through books of the Bible and just walk through texts of Scripture on Wednesday nights. During this season right now, we're walking through topically our discipleship pathway. That's because God convicted us as we began uh, just this season in which we weren't meeting that we as a church needed to do a better job to equip you to live out uh, the expectations that God has laid before us, primarily how to live out a life of worship, how to live in community, and how to live on mission. So right now, we're in the middle of talking about what it looks to live a life of worship not just to gather for worship, but to leave here and to live a life of worship. So, so far we've defined worship. That's there on your sheet. Worship is responding with all that we are, mind, emotions, and will to the revelation of God. And every week after that, we're just unpacking that. So responding with all that we are, mind, emotions, and will. Your mind has to be engaged in your relationship with Jesus Christ. You gotta be thinking. We're gonna spend a whole week on that next week. Your will, your emotions, your will, you're surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ moment by moment every day. So so what worship is, is a whole life response to everything that God has called us to. And and it's moving, it's dynamic, it is living in this constant rhythm of responding and receiving. So we're hearing from the Lord, we're receiving just like we are tonight. And then what do we do? Well, as an act of worship, we then walk in that. But what we want to be careful of is not to act as if life of worship is just getting a command and obeying it. Because that's not all there is to it. Our relationship with Jesus is just that. It's a relationship. It's dynamic, it's moving, it's changing. God is speaking and he is doing very personal things in our lives. He's not doing the same thing in all of our lives. He's doing something very personal in your life because he knows you personally and he cares about you personally and he's navigating your circumstances personally because God is a personal God and he wants to know you and he wants you to know him. This is a living relationship that we're building with the Lord, which such a, it's such an incredible thing to know that this is not just stagnant. It's not just all about do this. It's about come to know me. And so we talked about last week the fact that God is a person who is to be known, loved, and pursued. We'll never live a life of worship, a life in which we're just personally engaged with the Lord and moving along in relationship with him unless we realize that he's personal. And he wants to be known, he wants to be loved, and he wants to be pursued. I can't express to you how heavy and deep this is in my heart right now. I was even just thinking today how much I love the book of Romans and would like, uh, sometime soon I really want to take some time and just walk through as long as it takes the book of Romans, but 
I just was thinking about how much I love Romans 4 and just this idea that we are justified by faith. We have been declared righteous. We're guilty before a holy God. And yet Jesus, through the sacrifice on his cross, has made it possible for us to be declared righteous. And, and then we're sanctified after we're justified. We're made more like Jesus. And then ultimately we're glorified. And I love that those are legal terms because we have offended a holy God and he is a righteous judge and we stand condemned. And it's only because of Jesus that we can be free from condemnation. Amen, that's good news. But in the midst of all those legal terms, which are real and matter, and we can't understand the gospel without them, we don't need to lose sight of this legal declaration was so that we might be brought back into a relationship with God. It's legal, and it had to be done, but the purpose of that was so that we could be close. God wanted us close. He created us to know him. God is not just an idea to be studied. He's not just a problem to be solved. He is someone that is to be known and we are to be pursuing him. And so what we wanna talk about tonight is really what that looks like. What does it look like to pursue him? And one of the things that I wanna do is I wanna give us a vision of intimacy with the Lord. And I gave you, I went back, I think I gave you six minutes of this last week. We're gonna dive in deeper into this, into this little chart that's on the back right here. And the front is really a little bit of an explanation of this chart. So I'm gonna give you four key truths tonight about how God wants to move us into greater intimacy with him. And I think this is gonna be really helpful for you. The first thing I want you to know is this, it is right there, is that God wants you to know him as master. God wants you to know him as master. As we said, God is the creator, king, and judge of the universe. And uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus says this, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And so now we know from Ephesians chapter one and Philippians 2 that Jesus is the mediator of all of God's authority. Jesus is the king of kings. He is the ruler of all things. But Ephesians 1 tells us that he rules above all power and all authority and all dominion and above every name that is named in this age and in the age to come. There is no one that has greater power and greater authority than Jesus does. Philippians 2 tells us God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is is Lord, that's right, he is the Lord. He is the king, he is the ruler, he is the boss. And we are to worship him as king. What it means to come to know the Lord, according to Romans 10, 13, is whoever calls upon the name of the shall be saved. So becoming a Christian is not just seeing Jesus as savior, you have to see Jesus as Lord in order to be a Christian. You can't say, well, I want Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I just don't want him to have any control over me. That's not a Christian. That's someone who wants to go to heaven, but it's not a Christian. A Christian is someone who recognizes that their life is aimless and pointless without Jesus. And so they say, Jesus, I, I literally submit myself fully to you, and I want you to be the Lord of my life. He's the king. He's the boss. There's a little gospel track that we've used with our kids. Uh, it's called, Who Will Be King? And the whole point is helping children understand that becoming a Christian is you coming to the place where you will say, God, I want you to be the boss of my life. It has to start there. 
Truth is, is Psalm 2 is a great passage of this where it talks about everyone, all the nations of the earth are, are, are wanting the Lord to have no authority over them. They're trying to break the bonds of, off from the Lord. And it says this, it says, you should kiss the son lest he be angry and consume you in his wrath. Meaning you pay homage, you give respect to Jesus Christ because he is the king of kings. And every one of us, listen, every one of us starts in our relationship with Christ. If you look right there, that's where it starts. Where we say, Lord, we we want to do whatever you say. And it really is driven by a sense of of duty. He's the master and we're the servant. It's driven by roles and rules. So this is the relationship of a master-servant. The relationship of a master-servant is this. I tell you what to do and you say, yes, sir. That's it. And, and that's how we start in our relationship with Jesus. And we never move beyond that in the sense that that's always true, that we move beyond that, but we never get to the point where that doesn't matter anymore. He is always Lord. He is always master. Whether we feel like it or not, we wake up in the morning and say, Lord, here I am. What do you have me to do today? And I want to do it, right? Onward, Christian soldiers. That's what we used to sing in my school when I was growing up. We all did this. Why? Because we are soldiers of the Lord. He's the master and we do what he says. Now listen. If that is all that the Lord had ever done for us, that would be amazing. I mean, that'd be great. I mean, what an amazing thing that the king of the universe would say to us, I want you to become a part of my kingdom and I'll save you for all of eternity. And for all of eternity, you will be a servant of mine. I think about Psalm 8410 where David says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of the wicked. I mean, if you gave me an option to just be a doorkeeper forever, like I just stay at the house of the Lord and open doors, I'd rather do that than dwell in a rich man's tent. So the point is, is that this is a good thing. Praise God, we get to be servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. What I want you to know is this, is that there is more to our relationship with the Lord than just being a master and a servant. I told you last week, and I absolutely believe this, most people in the church have never moved beyond master-servant relationship with Jesus. Their whole life is about rules. It's about duty. God says it. We believe it. That settles it. We do it. And we just live in this servant relationship. And we never go beyond that. But the truth is, is that God wants us to go beyond that. So that next level there is father-son relationship. The goal of this relationship is not just to do the right things, but to know one another. It's driven more by relationship. Listen, there's not a master-servant intimacy. Like, there's no relationship there. The master is not interested in knowing about you as much as he's interested in you accomplishing what he wants you to accomplish. And so if all we ever said is God only wants us as servants Boy, that means that God is not as interested in knowing us as we would want him to be, but God doesn't just say that. He says, listen, I have sent my son, Jesus Christ, to save you so that by that salvation, you might be adopted, Romans chapter eight, into the family. You may no longer have a spirit, an orphan spirit, but you might have a spirit of sonship. So out of your very heart, you cry, Abba, Father. That in your heart, you know that there is this personal relationship with a father, not just a master, and that's good, but God wants you to know him as a father. He's called you to be a child. And so all of a sudden, the relationship gets more personal, doesn't it? That God wants to know us. And I can't tell you how many times, particularly while teaching through the Lord's Prayer, I've experienced moments in which people's lives have been revolutionized. I I can't, that's not an overstatement. 
by coming to the place where the very first time they understood that God sees them as a child, a beloved child. One of the things I like to teach a lot is that at the baptism of Jesus, the heavens opened up and the father publicly said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So here's the deal. God opened up heaven and out loud, so everybody could hear, said, this is my son and I love him and he's mine and I'm pleased with him. That's what every single child wants to hear from their dad. That's it. I love you. He's mine. I'm proud of you. And I'm pleased with you. We were created and wired to hear that from our dad. Few of us ever did. And if you don't ever get to the place where you realize that through Jesus Christ, God has opened up heaven and he's looked at every single one of you because you've been purchased by Jesus Christ and brought into the family. He looks at every one of you and he says this, I love you and you're mine and I'm pleased with you. And when that truth comes over us and we can break free from that orphan spirit, which Romans 8 talks about, where we're always feeling like we're not good enough and we have to keep doing enough to make God happy with us, which is really master-servant because the master-servant relationship is just about doing the right things. You gotta keep the master happy and we always wanna please the master. But at the same time, God has said, that's not the end of it. I want to be your father. And I have a relationship with you and I want you to know that I'm pleased with you and I really love you. And so all of a sudden we move into greater intimacy when we start to understand that. And a a father-son relationship has much more listening and discussing. It even has a little bit more relating emotionally. It's okay to fail. It's okay to be a sinner. You realize in master-servant relationship, it's not okay to be a sinner. It's not okay to break the rules. But in a father-son relationship, there's much more of a, Father, I've done wrong, I've, I've blown it, I've messed up, I'm sorry. I love you and, and I want our fellowship to be right because sin hinders our fellowship with the Father. So, Father, I, I know I didn't lose my sonship when I sinned. I know I'm still right with you. I just, God, our fellowship is not right and so I'm, I'm asking for deeper fellowship. You don't have that with a master, but you have it with a father. Now, that's incredible. But I believe that the Bible talks about a deeper relationship as well. That not only do you have that father-son, and if you'll notice on there, uh, that the father-son relationship is still one of submission, right? So the master-servant is still, there's distance there. The father-son comes closer, but, but it's, it's still not buddies. Like, I have to realize this with my kids. Andrew and I talked about this last night. The goal of parenting is not to be my kid's friend. I still gotta be the boss. Like, Josiah goes to school uh, three days a week, just in the mornings, on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So what we tell him is, is Monday is mom's day, and Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is school day, and Friday is dad's day. And we're just buddies. We just, we just spend Friday morning together. We hang out. We have a good time. We always go to Home Depot and get something, whether we need it or not. And it's just, it's a fun day. And so I want us to, I mean, it's fun to be buddies. But at the end of the day, I'm not just your buddy. I'm your dad. So when I tell you to do something, it's, well, well, hey, buddy, I don't think I want to do that. No, 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 hold on just a minute. I know I said you're my buddy, but what I meant was I'm your dad. So that's, there's still some authority there, and that matters. But God said, Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, 14, and 15, right before his death, he said this, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. I don't even know what to do with that. And so progressively, 
Jesus is revealing himself in a more personal way. So he starts by saying, follow me. I'm the boss. I'm your master. And then he says, when you pray, learn how to pray this. Our father who out in heaven, he introduces them as God to a father. And they see what it's like to have a father-son relationship by walking with him. And then towards the end, he says this. He says, now listen, I want you to know something that you may not have thought about before. I also want to be your friend which is much more of a side-by-side relationship where the goal is to enjoy one another. I was talking to a friend of mine this week and he's discipling some young guys and uh, he said to the young guys, he said, all right, we're gonna take a night here and we're gonna do something different. Ask me all the questions that you don't wanna ask your dad, right? And I thought, boy, I wouldn't. Nobody ever asked me that in high school. I had a lot that I never asked my dad. I mean, you love, if you love your dad and you got a great dad, there may still be some things you're not gonna talk to dad about. Maybe, there, maybe some things you wouldn't go there with dad, but with a friend, there's gonna be a little more openness and a little more honesty. And it's not driven by a sense of I gotta please the father. It's driven by just a heart, a desire to be together with one another. It's more authentic and honest. It's okay to be alone. You know, I, I, I have this little thing. It's probably my best relational advice. I may have mentioned this before. My best relational advice for couples thinking about getting engaged. And it's this. Before you ask a girl to marry you, take a road trip. This is a big one. Because in 1997, I drove from Lynchburg, Virginia to Canada with Marissa Barkey. And by the time we got to Pennsylvania, I knew she wasn't the one. That was a really long trip from Pennsylvania to Toronto. I just want to be really honest with you. You spend that much time together, you're side by side there, and all of a sudden you think, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't want to spend this much time with her. <laughs> like we'd spend an hour here and an hour there, but really, I, can t- I distinctly remember Pennsylvania. I was like, yeah, she's not the one. And not only, not only do we have to drive to Toronto, we had to stay at her parents' house. For like three days, they gave me gloves, wool gloves. I still have them. I, I saw them uh, not too long ago. There's something about this, this idea of coming into a more friendship where you just enjoy being together. There are very few people in their relationship with Jesus that just enjoy extended periods of time with Jesus. Do you know this? In a master-servant relationship, time is never the issue. Obedience is the issue. Does a master want to sit and have an hour conversation with his servant? No, no. Hey, listen, hey, I, like, I'm not really interested. Like, you just, I told you what to do. Father's son, though, does want to engage more that way. The whole book of Proverbs, I want to teach you and instruct you. I want to lead you in these things. But then friend is even more than that. We just want to spend time together, and God wants to take us there. But there's one more, and I'm gonna freak you out, but you have to stay with me. I'm gonna explain this, and I believe at the end of a two-minute explanation, three, you're going to get this. God also wants to know you as lover. Now, I mentioned this to a pastor friend of mine the other day, and he said that sounded terrible. But let me explain what I mean. There is no way you can deny, particularly reading the prophets, from beginning to the very end, that God has sent Jesus Christ with this reckless affection to come and capture us and to save us and to bring him of himself, and he calls us his bride. He says, you're my bride. And then you've got this incredible passage in 2 Corinthians 11. Listen to what Paul says, 2 Corinthians 11. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. For I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband 
Like I engaged, I made you engaged, betrothed to one husband, which is Christ, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. So it's almost this idea that, that when we come into a relationship with Christ, we're betrothed, we're, we're engaged, but not like engaged that it could be broken. We're actually betrothed, but the consummation of that is not until we get to heaven. This is why we have a marriage supper. So he calls us his bride, and then he says, at the end of our lives, we're gonna have a marriage supper. Who's getting married? We are. The reason there's no more marriage in heaven is because marriage on earth, and even the physical intimacy of a marriage, was simply created to give us a little vision of what it's like to be one with the Lord, where there's nothing in between, an absolute and completely one relationship. I mean, how many times in the prophets, particularly in Ezekiel, like 26 and 28 and 32 and 36, all throughout there, do you have the Lord saying to the people of Israel, I brought you to myself, I purchased you to be my own, and you prostituted yourself. You committed spiritual adultery. Well, committing spiritual adultery is because God considered us one with him and married to him. What do you do with the book of Hosea if you don't believe this? The whole book of Hosea is that I want you as mine, as my precious bride. Now listen, I don't think we're ever gonna get there before heaven. That's the marriage supper of the lamb. But here's the deal. The heart of someone who really knows Jesus wants to get there. God, I want to be in the place where the only thing I want is complete oneness with you. As Paul says in Philippians 3, that I may know you. I think what he's saying there is I want to know you completely and fully. You were created to have as the greatest desire of your heart oneness with Jesus. You're not gonna get there to heaven, but you're moving up toward that. Now that's a vision of moving in relationship that I think is essential to a life of worship because a life of worship is you continuing to grow in your intimacy with the Lord so you know him more and more to the ultimate place where there is never a moment of the day in which you're not united with Jesus. That's the goal, right? That's glorification. And sanctification leads us to glorification. Oneness with Christ. So that's a vision of what God wants to do. Now let me tell you very quickly how God gets us there. I put a few things on the side here on how God gets us there, uh, but I want, to, I want to clarify that just a little bit more. So do you see uh, right there, how do we move towards oneness? I, I'm going to just take three of those and talk about them here for the next few minutes. The first way in God moves us there, he gives us vision and desire. What I mean by that is, first, you have to even know that there's categories for this. I've been burdened lately. Just the amount of people I've known in the church, particularly I think in more traditional, conservative, really particularly more legalistic churches who have never ever considered that they could be anything to God but a servant. And again, we're always the Lord's servant. You understand what I'm saying. But they've never entered into that father-son relationship and have known him as saying, listen, you don't have to keep working for me for me to be pleased with you. I'm pleased with you because of Jesus. Like that is, that's new, that's, that's brand new day stuff right there. Like when you wake up tomorrow morning and realize I don't have to work all day for Jesus to be pleased with me. He's pleased with me because I am his son. And you wake up in the morning, he looks at you and says, I love you, you're mine, I'm proud of you, I'm pleased. So you have to have this vision that God wants to draw you into more intimacy. And then he gives you a desire. 
it just gives you a little bit of desire. I had, I talked to our, we have 13, 14 interns. How many? 16, that's what I said, 16 interns. And uh, I met with them on Monday and none of them are in here because all of them are working right now and um, at different places in the, in the building. But Sky said, hey, I want you to share with them this. And so I talked to them a little bit about this. And, uh, you know, uh, one of the things I was saying to them is that after God gives you a vision for this, there are little moments in your life in which God just gives you a little longing to know him more. Do you know those moments? Those moments where you just feel like, God, man, I wanna, it usually happens to me in church or it happens to me when I get up in the morning and spend time with the Lord. Like you just, you just wanna know Jesus more. And sometimes you get to a day where you just say, God, I would love to do nothing on this day, but just spend time with Jesus. Like you long for it. Let me tell you something. Every time you have that desire that's brought on by the very spirit of God and it's God inviting you into more. So what do you do with it? You go with it. Like you don't ignore the desire. You have a vision for it and then you move in that desire. The next one I want you to know is disruption. I could spend an entire evening on this. Let me explain this very quickly. This may be, I think this may be the most helpful. I believe that every disruption in your life, little disruption, little irritation, little frustration, massive disruption, diagnosis, loss of a spouse, every disruption is an invitation to intimacy. There is no disruption that has ever happened in your life that God was not sovereign over. Is that true? Is that true? It's true. So God is sovereign over all disruptions, and every disruption, there's a, how many disruptions did you have today? Like little bitty things. Like, like I left the campus for a little bit and I came back at three o'clock and got stuck in the back of the carpool line and couldn't get to my office. Stayed there for about 15 minutes and decided to walk to the office. My impatience then left me without a car at about 5.30 when it was pouring and I needed to get back here. So little disruption. Socks are still wet because I wore these things with the holes in them. Disruption. We ignore most of them. The big ones get our attention. But I don't care if it's being stuck in the carpool line or your spouse being diagnosed with cancer. Every disruption is an invitation to go into greater intimacy. So instead of resenting your disruptions, receive them as an invitation from the Lord to say, I'm disrupting your life in order to draw you closer. Every disruption. If you question that, read Job. It was God's idea to pick on Job. Have you considered my servant Job? Like maybe my greatest fear in life is the Lord saying, have you considered Josh? Have you considered Job? It goes after Job and Job was righteous and blameless. But in Job 42, Job says this, after all of this, I had heard with you of you with my ear, but now I see you with my eye, meaning through all of the disruption, the whole point was for Job to know God in a more intimate way. I view Job as a guy in Job 1 who he, he, he knew the right things and he did the right things and he knew master-servant relationship, maybe even father-son, but I tell you, at the end of all of that suffering, when God picked a fight with Job, Job came into a new awareness of God that he never knew before. Every disruption is an invitation to greater intimacy. And if you would just take every disruption and say, okay, God, what do you wanna to say to me in this? Like, what are you doing in this? What can I learn from this? What can I receive from this? And most of the time, it's God just saying, hey, come here. Because he's not just a master, he's a father. 
who's gonna say, hey, if you'll come here, I wanna give you some wisdom here like a father. And he's also gonna say, hey, come here, let's walk together and let's just spend some time, let's talk this through. That's friend. And the last one is this, is the way that God moves us there is just, is just time. Time. Um, it takes time to build a friendship, doesn't it? It takes time to build an intimate marriage. I've discovered that emotional intimacy doesn't happen by accident in marriage. Has anyone discovered this? You don't just be married 15 years and wake up all of a sudden and say, boy, we just know each other's hearts so well. What happens is you wake up after 15 years, have five kids and go, I don't know if I really know you that well. Anybody else? Like, is this resonating? Because in order to get to know Andrea on that level, I've got to be willing to just shut up, sit, and pursue, talk, listen. And the only way that happens is just a lot more time. So if all you ever want to be is master servant, all you got to do in the morning is just get up, spend five minutes with Jesus, get your orders, and just go. That's it. If you want to be father, son, you got to be ready to have some conversations and the Lord to be able to give you some wisdom and direction and say, okay, Lord, I get it and I'm going to walk in that. If you want to be friends, you got to be willing to just sit. Remember Mary? She had a sister, Martha. I love Martha. Everybody talks about Mary. I like Martha. I heard a preacher, Haddon Robinson, Brother Bill, you know Haddon Robinson. He said, everybody gets so mad at Martha, but every pastor knows nothing in the church would happen without a bunch of Marthas. Praise God, we need Martha's in the church to just get something done. Mary's over there just wanting to sit with Jesus and someone's gotta make the sandwiches. Right? But Mary got something. See, here's the deal. Martha, master servant. The Lord's in my house, I gotta serve him. Mary, well, she's just, she's just hanging out. Like, Mary doesn't care about the sandwiches. And you know what? I don't think Jesus really did either. I think you could have just given Jesus like a, you know, snack pack or something, a little juice box and a Lunchable. Maybe not a Lunchable, those are disgusting, but something. So Martha, instead of, instead of spending 45 minutes trying to get a filet mignon out, why don't, you, why don't you just give Jesus something so you can spend that time just sitting with him? That's what Martha wanted, I mean, that's what Mary wanted. She just wanted to sit with Jesus. When was the last time you did that? Not just serving, great, praise God. We need more. We're just sitting. Because that's what friends do. And that's where God wants to take you. He wants to take you to the place where you can be comfortable just spending time with him. And can I just tell you, it'll be uncomfortable at first. But you'll get there as you get to know him and love him more. Let me pray for us for a minute and then I've got nine minutes for questions. If you want to text them while I pray, you're welcome to.